From interviews and investing to careers and credit, we've got you covered. Wallet Watch is a podcast brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. We'll be interviewing industry experts, sharing personal stories, and even playing some fun games, delivering financial topics in a fun and interesting way. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Devante. We're so glad you're here. Hello, Walla Watch listeners. We are excited this week to have another episode for you. We are going to be focusing on a really important topic and definitely one that becomes really big around the holidays. So talking about health. As you know, this season, we've been trying to focus on innovation and education as our overall themes. So we want to venture further into the education of really understanding our health. And today we have a great guest, Matt Johnson. Thank you so much for being here, Thanks Matt. For having me. So can you introduce our listeners to you? Oh, sure. Yeah, my name is Matt Johnson, and I run a East Lansing-based company that's all over the world called On Target Living. And I run it with my family. My father, he started it in 2006, but he's been in the business for 35 years. My mom's actually in the business, and my twin sister, who's a registered dietitian, in the business. But what we really specialize is in trying to guide people on how to invest in their number one asset. And uh, we really believe people or humans' number one asset is their health. So I think uh, as we talk today about financing and innovation, sometimes I think we neglect that asset called our health. So that's what we do, and, and we work with companies, we work with individuals all over the country. Cool, Matt. So I feel like you're being super modest. I looked at your bio. So I know that you all have a podcast as well. So we definitely want to tell our listeners about that. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, we have a podcast called Rest, Eat, Move. And um, we have free videos. We have an app. We have a robust website. You know, again, we are modest because we really can't do anything for the listeners. We just guide. And I think that's what we really specialize in and try to help people is what are a couple key nuggets? What are a couple ways to nudge people so that they can change their habits? But yeah, the podcast is one of those tools. Cool. Thank you. I'm so excited you're here, Matt, because I love the On Target Living Food Targets. Mm-hmm. Um, we were introduced to them very graciously. The credit union brought you all in and we started to learn about the food targets. I have it on my fridge at home, but can you tell us a little bit about how the food target was created and kind of the research that went behind creating that? Sure. Yeah. You know, it'd be probably the best coming from the person who created it, which is my father, but he created in 1994. So at the time I probably shouldn't have been anybody to create anything at that time, a lot younger, but Uh, In 1994 and continuing to today, everybody's fixated on nutritional facts, calories, proteins, all these these numbers. And and what he realized is nobody was focusing on quality. And so he wanted to create a tool that people could glance at to kind of visualize how do I upgrade what I eat versus how do I just have to eliminate. I think everyone in this room likes certain foods or certain flavors. And if you have to eliminate that, that's no fun. And so he found a way to kind of create this guide to get people to upgrade and it's all about quality versus quantity and if you look 1994 to today the number one diet on the planet today ketosis is about eliminating and so I think we haven't learned what is the best way to create a lifestyle around nutrition that's what the food targets for and it's adapted and evolved and we've new imagery and we have a beverage target but yeah that was the genesis of our company on target living 
And that was created uh, 12 years before the company was created. So the first book was Meal Patterning, and inside that was the food target. And as he grew the business, and then I came on board and all those, those steps, but the genesis of our business for sure. Yeah, and it's a free resource. Anyone can get access to it, and we hand them out. We've handed out millions of food targets. I really like the idea of the food target, and I think the thing that I enjoy about it is how simple it is. It's not like trying to use a planning app where you have to type in every single thing that you ate, and it's just little by little striving to change and, like you said, upgrade certain foods that you have. But, yeah, I look at it when I'm doing my grocery well, list. Well, I, you know, that there's a couple... <laughs> key nuggets I took out of that. One, thank you for that compliment because I don't know why people are so obsessed with tracking and plugging things in. I think food's meant to not only fuel us, obviously that's a big part of what we teach, it fuels us, but it's also love, it's social. I don't know anyone that doesn't like to go out to eat or share a meal with somebody. And so if it becomes where, uh-oh, I'm going over to my friend's house and I gotta plug it into an app, we, we kind of lose that, that joy. So yeah, it's a tool. Some people will say to us, well, I don't see this on there. Well, it's Whole Foods most of the time when you look at the food target. And so we can't fit every single food ever on the, the planet, but I think we've done a decent job. So people will try to quiz me like, where's pineapple? Where's strawberries? It's probably towards the center. I don't know exactly where every single item is, but yeah, thanks for that compliment. Yeah, as I look at it and look at my Red Bull that's sitting in front of me, I'm like, oh, I need to hide this. This is in the, the yeah, bad hide, section. Hide that. uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. And that's what we're all about. We're, it's, it's not about being perfect. And so for anybody, I would say, okay, well, why are we drinking a Red Bull? What do we need to maybe upgrade? What do we need to add? And that's, again, if you think about all the information we see, whether it's social media or podcasts, it's all about what we shouldn't eat. We like to take the positive angle, what should you eat? And if you just focus on those three things you should, I'll never come to you and say, hey, you shouldn't drink that. I'd focus on, well, let's add this, let's add that. So yeah, great point. Matt, I really like that you were talking about the, the love of eating and the social aspect of eating. And obviously the holidays are coming up quickly. So what suggestions do you have to prepare us for our health for the holidays? Yeah, you know, I guess it, I don't feel this, but I know stress is a big thing around the holidays. I get stressed, but the holidays for me are, are very positive and not everyone has that positivity around the holidays. So stress is the big one. And, and so it, it comes down to not trying to overextend yourself, it comes down to giving yourself some positive self-talk. It's okay to not get everything on the list checked off in the right order and the right time. But at the end of the day, it's sticking to some of your habits that can get you through this season because we're probably not going to add new habits. And I think for our business, uh, November, December aren't the busiest months for trying to get people to make some changes. But I do think, you know, there's a, an element of maintaining. And so how do you maintain some of those habits throughout the holiday season? Uh, stick with the basics. Drink enough water. Get enough sleep. Move your body. And if you can do those things, it's okay to have a pumpkin roll or ice cream. My mom's Lebanese. She has 42 first cousins. So Thanksgiving and the holidays, we're having some good treats. But if I have those every single day, I'm going to be tired. Then I'm going to make worse choices. So for everyone listening, for everyone that we guide around the holidays, stick to some of the good habits you have. Don't eliminate all of them and say, well, I'm going to have that 
pie, so I might as well do everything off the rails. Stick to some of those things so you can have a little bit of liberty. And we teach this thing called 80-20 rule, and so maybe around the holidays it's like a 60-40. That means 60% of the time you're taking care of yourself, but you can have some fun for the next couple months, which we should be allowed to do. And I think my sister says it the best is guilt comes from too much of something. So if you're overdoing those, those bad things too much, you feel guilty that you did it. Well, and I appreciate the fact that you're suggesting that we need to have flexibility mm -hmm. worked in there and being able to be adaptable as the holidays are coming up. And then also relying on those coping habits that we've already developed on top of just having that grace with ourselves and allowing ourselves to indulge a little bit every now and then. I think grace is probably the best word I've heard over the last 20 months because if we don't have grace, I mean, everything's too serious, too doom and gloom, the sky is falling. And really at the end of the day, stress comes from our reaction. So if we react in a doom and gloom and not graceful way, we create stress. But there could be hectic, things happen around us and we don't need to create stress and it's easier said than done but that's the truth the stress response is a physical response that we create on our reaction and so if you don't if you're not graceful which i love that word it's not healthy for us and we could all use some grace absolutely thank you for that matt so i know you spoke earlier about the ketosis diet and all those things where the first thing is what you need to eliminate or don't do. So can you kind of speak to your thoughts on fad diets and sure. maybe their effectiveness, and especially as we come into the, yeah, there's, the holiday time? There's a lot of unpack there. There's marketing, there's behavior, there's, uh, you know, the actual action. You know, that's probably the least important. The least important is what the X's and O's are. It's how did something like that grab people's attention? You know, what was the marketing? What's the behavior change? What makes us want to do something, take an action? You guys talk about it all the time when it comes to saving or financing. There's habits that have to be changed. But when it comes to diets, it's a $50 billion industry with a 96 to 99% failure rate. Wow. So that's a pretty horrible statistic because it, it's really just trying to do a quick fix. And so when it comes to ketosis, not to bash it or say that it never serves a purpose, but it actually, you can lose weight. And so it happens pretty quickly. And so then the results start to fuel, well, this must be the way for long-term health. What we teach people, the problem with ketosis, it's not about the long-term health. It's about the short-term weight loss. And it's kind of like a starvation diet in a sense. You remove carbohydrates, you eat abundance of fat, and then you have a moderate amount of protein, and that creates this ketogenic state. Here's the truth though. Most people can't do ketosis without some exogenous ketone. And so most people think they're doing ketosis, what they're really just doing is cutting out carbohydrates. Here's the end of the story. Carbohydrates hold on to water. Water equals weight. You start to eliminate carbohydrates, you lose weight. And that's why it, it's so popular, it works so quickly. But I think we gotta get back to, like I said at the beginning, our health is our most valuable asset. So it'd be like saving money for two weeks and then saying I'm going to have that money for the rest of my life. We need to think a little bit longer term. And longer term, I don't see it sustainable. And we're starting to see, as it's been around for a couple years now, other health conditions, lack of sleep, can't focus. Because those carbohydrates, like I say, are the largest macronutrient. 
And if you cut out a macronutrient, you'll have macro problems. Okay. So that's where these diets come in is number one, I, I, I did a little stats and I thought about a little bit of the numbers, but 83% of the United States population pulled that they don't feel very good. That's a lot of people. Wow. 88% have a, a metabolic condition where they're unhealthy. So, you know, we really are looking at, you know, 12 to 20% of the population that is healthy to begin with. And so there, I think a lot of people are looking for the quick fix, looking for, you know, what can they get that easy result? When at the end of the day, it really is habits. And we also have to invest long-term versus short-term. Thank you for, one, the, the statistics and also really explaining that to us. What do you think about like intermittent fasting? Yeah, great question. Intermittent fasting, probably the number one question we get when we do our presentations. Fasting's been around for a thousand plus years. We've been fasting for <laughs> forever. Intermittent fasting, I think, has become more of a buzz term, marketing, diet type of a thing. I think it, it serves a purpose. What we teach is called overnight fasting. And that seems, well, we, we do that, right? Breakfast, we break the fast. But really being uh, intentional about it, 12 to 14 hours. So people tend to eat a little bit too late. Then they wake up and they quick eat, put something in their body, maybe like a cup of coffee too early or processed cereal or a pastry or whatever it is. And so the digestion needs a chance to kind of take a break. And so if you can give yourself 12 to 14 hours overnight, which is easy to do, 7 p.m., 7 a.m., it creates that autophagy. Autophagy is where the benefit of fasting comes in. That's where we start to clean up the dead cells. We start to eliminate some of the unhealthy things in the body. And if you don't have that time, it's, it's like a bathtub that you don't let drain. You're going to start the day with a, a dirty bathtub. And that's not always the best thing to think about, but it's how I kind of think about we need a break. Our digestion needs a break so that we can start the day. So again, back to the intermittent fasting. If you can do it and it's sustainable for you and you don't feel like you're moving too many things around, keep doing it. If it's a struggle, if you don't feel like you can sustain it, try to do that overnight fast. And you can, I think most people can do it almost every day, 12, 14 hours. I love that you had that question, Devante, because I actually asked Matt that question when he came to the credit union. <laughs> there so you I was go. Trying she, was it. A, she was the person that asked. I was trying it, and it w I was just like so irritated and watching the clock like, when can I eat again? When can I eat again? And then that same answer you gave, it must have been maybe like two and a half years ago, and it just clicked in my head like, oh, do it at night. That way I'm not going to be grumpy from not eating and having to look at the clock. Well, and that's I, and that's it. I mean, if, it, if you shrink your window of when you can eat, now we have a diet. And I think diets are just not a long-term way to kind of live. Because if Amanda goes out with her friends and it's not in that window, now the whole thing has been blown up versus... I can sustain doing it at night, and I can still go and do what I want to do off the schedule. So I don't ever track a macronutrient. I don't track necessarily when I eat or how much I eat it, because again, it comes back to these principles we teach, one of them being quality. And then the body will tell us what's going on. If you're hungry, probably should eat. If you're not hungry, probably don't need to eat. But there's other elements that come into play as well. I feel like everyone's so in their heads like, okay, this is what I'm going to eat. And they're in this habit of always tracking and figuring out what food they have. How can you go from being a little bit more mindful to listening to your body mm. versus planning it all out in your head? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a newer thing that we're seeing, you know, that, that meal prep 
idea. You should prepare for your meals, but do you have to prepare for every meal at the beginning of the week? Not necessarily. And so I think we do get in our head some of the things I'm thinking about. You know, our business, we teach three pillars, rest, eat, move. We're spending a lot of time talking about eating. Uh, but the thing about eating is everyone's their own eating expert. Why? Because we do it several times a day for our entire life. We should know a little bit about food. But there's more to food than just, you know, the science of it. There's the art. And part of the art comes back to, are you listening to your body? And I think we're so stressed, so distracted, have so much going on that sometimes we don't. If you're low on energy, and I was listening to a podcast actually this morning, and the number one search thing if you say, why am I in Google, so if you just type why am I, it will autofill to why am I low on energy. Okay, so people are aware of that, but are they truly aware of that? What should their energy be like? What, what is their energy? So there are what we call your body's always talking. There are some signs and symptoms that are not blood related. They're not going to show up at the physical that you can hear. You know, how's your skin? How's your hair? How's your digestion? Are you able to sleep? So I think it is so important to listen to the body, but that's a skill. And uh, there's two things not taught in school or in general, personal health and personal finance. And uh, you guys have a whole podcast around all of these components, but those are, I would say are two important topics that I think we try to just deal with versus what are the skills we need to develop to really execute them well. And again, if you were to say, what do I look at? My energy. I believe my energy or your energy is your most precious commodity. What do I mean by that? I think we think time is, but I truly think it's energy. But there's no way to measure it. So you really have to be in tune to the body. You have to be mindful about the body. And again, back to your question about being mindful, we got to kind of slow down. And if we are always in a hurry and we're trying to cover up the symptoms, you'll see why diets, you'll see why the drug stores are full of these over-the-counter band-aids, because we just don't take the time to kind of back up. And we have all of the resources and all the tools in us, uh, but sometimes we just have, haven't brought them out. Great question. Yeah, it gives me that visual of when you have something wrong with you, just trying to make like a quick fix for it or just put a band-aid on it rather than going back to the source and figuring out like why you're feeling that way and just making that change. A, a great example is you have a hangover and we've all had hangovers, I'm guessing. And, uh, <laughs> and, you, and you think, well, I want to get rid of this hangover. You guys been there before? But we know why we have a hangover. When it comes to our health, we're like, oh, why is my skin so bad? I must just have to put lotion on. Maybe, but there may be something internally that we got to start to look at. You know, have we been sleeping? Have we been feeding the body the right fuel? Because it starts from within. So yeah, it begins by going after the source versus what's the symptom. So as we're getting more in touch with ourselves and trying to be a bit more mindful and more intentional about what we're doing, do you have any suggestions for our listeners as they're researching? Because obviously there's a lot of misinformation out mm -hmm. there, but how do we know like what's good education that we are, are being fed versus things that are not true or marketing ploys, things like that? It's going to be hard as information we talk about, it ramps up, you know, you're, we're never going to out information Google. But then if you back up and say, you know, why do we have 33% of the country obese? Why is anxiety, depression, all these ailments and uh, issues so high? Well, it's because information doesn't do anything. 
information is just information. Education is much more powerful because education leads to action. So it's going to be hard to know what's good, what's bad. I mean, Google is the resource and even scientists and podcasters, they're using that as research. I think at the end of the day, you have to start to create some education internally. And that's, I think, part of our role. We have three principles we teach. I'm not going to go into them deep today, but these three principles give you the kind of capabilities to determine what makes sense and what doesn't. And these principles are what we think are the, the science behind being healthy. Cell health. How do I make my cells healthy? You think, well, we're going to go into a kind of science class here. Not really, because if you're trying to lose weight or have better energy or sleep better, it all begins with the cells. And so if you're thinking about a diet, you're thinking about an exercise routine, how do I make those cells healthy? That's principle number one. It starts to shoot holes in a lot of these trends or fads. Number two is pH balance. And pH balance has everything to do with how the body internally operates. So we have the highest intake of calcium on the planet, the United States, but we have the worst bone health. And so if you look at supplementation, if you look at all this research around what vitamins and minerals do I need to consume, well, what's more important is what do I absorb and maintain? And that's where pH balance comes into play. We're very acidic, and so it doesn't matter how much calcium we take, we're going to leach out calcium faster than we can put it in the body. And then the third one, and this is, I would say, the simple one that really can uh, validate what's good, what's bad science, is what's the source? And the closer we can move to the source, the healthier it is and the more inexpensive it is. Unfortunately, if you look at where most of the nutritional science is, it's who's funding it. Not to be conspiracy theory, but these things are expensive to research. How are you going to know what's the best way to eat over 90 years without tracking somebody for 90 years? So we're trying to do things quickly, and I think nutrition is a lot more complicated. But ask the question, if, if I want to drink coffee or if I want to eat cereal or have a bag of chips or what's healthy or not healthy, the closer we move to the source, the better it is. And when people start to think about that, they start to question, why am I taking a vitamin D supplement, a multivitamin, an A, a C, a this, versus what's the source of those nutrients? One last story. My wife, for our first child, when she was pregnant, they tested her blood, like they always do, but they accidentally tested or marked cholesterol. Well, they don't really ever report that for a, a pregnant woman because they know that it goes up. Well, it went up because she's got a baby, it, it creates life. And so I think we kind of get away from common sense. Why are these things existing? And so for her, her cholesterol went up because it needed to go up versus we think about, oh, her cholesterol's up, now it's a risk. And they would tell her, hey, uh, take a prenatal. And my question was, well, what are the nutrients she needs, not what are the supplements she needs? Because if she needs folate, vitamin D, omega-3 fats, let's just get them from foods. But I think we're so fixated on what's the supplement, what's the, the quick fix. So to answer your question, it comes back to education, the three principles that we teach to help people with some education so that they can make better decisions. Because if you got to walk through the grocery store with an app or something to tell you what to buy, it's not going to be sustainable. And you've heard me say that a lot, sustainability is key. Definitely, and that it's so simple. Like what you're saying is so simple. It makes so much sense. And I think there's a lot less of a chance of someone feeling like they're failing if they're just focusing on the source of foods that they're putting into their body. And you'd be surprised how we realize that we're not doing that. 
and simple's not always easy. Easy's never gonna give us the best outcome. I think we have to realize that, but it can be simple, not always easy. So just to kind of go back to when you were talking about like the supplements versus looking at the source of where they come from, is there a better way to do it? Should we always just be looking to getting it out of food and things like that instead yeah. of looking at supplements first? That's a great question. Our food systems change. We feed 8 billion people. Mm -hmm. and so there's no denying, my grandma used to say, the meat tastes different and the vegetables taste different. We've all heard Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So it has changed. That means that the food is not as nutrient dense. And you hear that a lot. But I still believe food is the most powerful medicine. And food is also information. And so whether it's genetics or some type of chronic disease, I think food can be a powerful solution. And so I think we have to slow down and start there. There's so many supplements that I don't think are needed right away. But then after a while, if we've done some of the simple things, added some of the source and we're still having issues, then I think supplementation can, can play a role. An example is protein powder. I truly don't think most people need to consume protein powder. But I would say, I haven't looked at it lately, but it's probably revenue-wise one of the top supplements. So why is that? It's, it's good marketing and, and it's easy and it's quick and it can substitute some things. But I think the better thing is to put real food in a smoothie or get your protein from a food source. So I think it plays a role. I think I always try to get people to start with food first. And then if we do have something specific, then we can pinpoint it. But if you look at most supplementation, it's isolated, which means that it's been processed. Mm -hmm. And so um, price goes up and the potency and the outcome goes down. Nobody wants to pay more and get less. I don't think. I don't. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> we've talked a lot about food and we've kind of started thinking about this idea of like going to the basics, things that are simple, not necessarily easy to do, mm -hmm. but what would you suggest as far as trying to get more movement or regular movement into our daily habits and routines? Yeah, some people don't like exercise. They just don't. And so you got to kind of use some different wording and you use the word movement. I think everybody wants to move. I've never met anyone that has a capability that don't want to move. Everyone wants to move at a high rate. And so that means that we have to realize we have to move now if we expect to move later. So if exercise isn't something you like, you don't like to go to the gym, you don't like weights, whatever it is that you're thinking about, find something you do like. What is it that you do like to move? You know, maybe you like to hike, maybe you like to ride a bike, maybe you like to canoe. It doesn't have to always be structured exercise. But unfortunately, back to some stats, about, I think, 17% of the population moves their body on a regular basis. You know, we know movement is a very powerful thing physically. We know what it does, muscular, skeletal. But I think one of the things we neglect is what it does mentally. And over the last 20 months, I've watched, including myself, where our mental health is getting tested. And probably the number one mental health prescription we can do is move our body on a regular basis. So part of it is prioritizing it and valuing it. And then a big part of it is finding something you enjoy back to sustain that you're going to do. If I say uh, everyone has to move their body or exercise 60 minutes a day, they have to go to this class or that class, it's not for everybody. 
We've all seen the, the Pelotons and the, the Tonals and the, these things. Some people love those, and some people buy them and they sit the same way their elliptical and treadmill set at their house. So finding things we like. I love playing, you know, I played college golf and I like physical activity, but I don't always like to exercise. To get me to exercise, I'm always thinking, well, what's it gonna do for me today? What's well, gonna make me have more energy? I'm gonna be happier. I'm gonna flush out some of that noise. And if we've ever gone for an exercise where our mind wasn't quite right, we always leave feeling better. And I think we have to, again, back to the simple things. It's very simple to move our body, not always easy. So how do we make it a little easier? How do we make it part of our day? But yeah, it's a big piece. A lot of people want to talk about what it does physically. I want to talk about more of what it does mentally because I've seen, especially mental health, it's isolated again. You know, we teach obesity, isolation, uh, blood work, isolation, well, it's all connected. And so mental health is not just a psychological problem. It's a, it could be a physical lack of physical movement as well. Yeah, great question. Yeah, I love how you just talked about how there's this this certain hyper-focus on these one things when they're all interconnected because it's all one body if we're, you know, just talking to one person or our own body. So um, with that, why is mental health and physical health going in the wrong direction with so many resources at our disposal? Again, that, that's a great question for me because that, that's what I talk about every single day. Uh, we have better hospitals, better nurses, greater technology, more information. Um, Lindsay was talking about information. So why are we going in the wrong direction? Well, because it's, it's about our mindset. Our mindset is we'll fix it when it's broken. And so we have amazing medical care in our society. I was listening to, again, a podcast and the doctor was talking, you get shot in the chest and this is pretty, I would say, severe. We have a great medical system. You come into the doctor's office and you say, I feel really good and I want to continue to feel really good. They might look at you like you have three heads. It's just not part of our society is yeah. to think about prevention. Mm -hmm. And we have to start thinking about prevention. I mean, in 1970, we spent 10% of our GDP on healthcare. So today we're spending closer to 20%. So we have more resources, spending more money, worse outcomes. The United States spends almost double on healthcare of any other country, and we have a very poor outcome. So prevention is the key, so that's a mindset, and then it's, it's habits. It's, it's what we do in the United States from a habit standpoint, where we don't rest, you know, this hustle culture, we gotta always be working on our computers, on our phones, the fear of missing out, and then, you know, we lack movement, and we have a food system that's easy to eat inexpensive, arguably great-tasting, unhealthy food. Now, there are some great-tasting, unhealthy foods that we all enjoy. So, again, we have to start prioritizing this. I think we sometimes wait for the studies and the research versus what's the common sense. Common sense, we're on our phones too much. We don't sleep less than seven hours a night. We don't move our body, and we're not getting some of this food that we know is medicine but I think it's, it's part our responsibility and part society creating these better rituals and habits. Prevention, we have to prioritize prevention versus sick care. And unfortunately, sick care is very profitable, so there's less resources for the prevention. I like that, I like the just thinking about being proactive rather than reacting. 
you know, some of us like sports. Some people don't use this reference, but we play a lot of defense. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to go down the COVID uh, angle, but we play a lot of defense for all illness and disease. Play very little offense. You need to play both. And I think individually, we have the ability to play offense. The defense will be done for us, and we got to do some things, but I think offensively, we have much more proactive stuff we can do. If you have a headache, are you drinking enough water? Right. Are you sleeping? Have you been staring at a computer? Versus, ah, I have a headache, here's an ibuprofen or anti-inflammatory. Absolutely. Well, and I'm thinking too about how you said earlier, we need to focus on what gives us more energy rather than being so focused on time. Because mm. the time savers are the things that make it easier, right? Mm-hmm. And if we can be more focused on what's going to give us more energy, that's going to give us a higher quality of life overall. Mm-hmm. And I would rather live a quality life and have a legacy for my kids to live up to mm-hmm. rather than to be focused on, you know, how much time did I spend? If I'm spending time with them and it's not quality, is it really worth it? Yeah, I have three kids under uh, five. And if I'm on my phone checking emails, but I'm spending a ton of time, who right. cares? Versus, are you present? You know, we hear that a lot. There's been books and research on being present for years and years and years. Well, it's now coming to the forefront because we're not. Mm -hmm. You know, why is meditation and the meditation apps? Well, they realize this is a problem. Um, But time, time is a slippery slope. We all want time, but we've been promised time from every piece of technology that's sitting in front of us right now. And when I'm working with a group or an audience, I ask them to raise their hand. Who has more time? Nobody. But yet we have a supercomputer, literally a supercomputer in our pocket. And so time is valuable, but energy, I call it the natural commodity that we have to harvest. And if we manufacture it or try to manufacture it, which our society does, the number one drug or supplement is caffeine. Well, that's because we're looking for that energy. But energy is hard because it's not measurable. And if you studied any science or management book, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Well, I disagree for energy. We need to manage energy because it's so important. And, and the toughest part for my job is uh, trying to articulate and paint a picture of what energy should feel like. Because if you haven't had it, you probably don't know what it feels like. And if you don't have it, you think that's what it should be. So your wearable doesn't tell you, but I do think when you know it, you really realize the value. I think that's interesting that you said that energy is so valuable because when you think about the United States, right, um, one of the things that we're big on is energy. How can we renew it? How can we recycle it? How can we gain more? All of those different things. And if you think about it now from the perspective of your body, Mm -hmm. wow. Like that's a, just a different perspective to really look at. I think for me, it's my biggest internal driver. I, I felt what I feel like is my maximum energy. And when I don't have it, I get frustrated and I realize, hey, uh, moron, start doing those things that you teach because you're getting away from the basics. But I see some people, they explain their habits and They seem like they have a ton of energy, and I'm thinking, wow, you could have so much more energy because you're not sleeping, you're not eating the right foods, you're not moving your body. I think I'm blessed with maybe this hyper-awareness of, I know when I have my best energy and I know when I don't, and I see a lot of people somewhat faking it, 
trying to manufacture it, phoning it in, versus what they potentially could have. I see that a lot with younger generations because they're more exposed to some of these things that maybe we didn't have, you know, the, the social medias and the phones. These things can zap your energy and there's tons of research on why it does that. Yeah, it is a resource and we need to protect it. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that. You know, we live in Michigan, and so in the winter months, we don't get a whole lot of sun. And it was kind of one of those conversations with my doctor of like, are you tired? I'm like, no, I'm not tired. She's looking at my vitamin D levels, and she's like, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the levels of like an 80-year-old woman. Um, and luckily, I have a great, great doctor who has a lot of similar like philosophies of starting like preventative versus yeah. repairing. And then, you know, working towards getting that vitamin D in my diet, I was like, oh. This is what I should feel like. This is what I could yeah, have been yeah. like all this time. You know? That's a good point. Yeah, and again, we don't have to be super woman or super man and feel great every day. We're going to have days where we don't feel our best. That's fine. Again, but back to grace, you know, giving yourself the space. We have to slow down. I think we're so focused on time. Everything is about time. But our world has changed so much that I think we have to reprioritize energy. At, at one point in time, even in my short life, I remember having abundance of time and not as many distractions. People are in a hurry. They're always busy. If you're bored, the next thing you do, you're just gonna pull open your phone. And so I think we have plenty of time, more than we think, but I don't think we have the energy that we should have. Mm. So we've gotta flip that around. And technology is an amazing tool, but we're the operator. Right. So if we're relying on it, it's not even doing what it's potentially capable of. Yeah, I definitely think there is a big difference between younger generations and then I feel like I kind of grew up on the half and half. Like we, part of my childhood, there wasn't a lot of technology and then it came very mm -hmm. quickly. And being a previous elementary school teacher, kids don't know what it's like just to be bored and just have that, that time or that space to not be hooked to that technology. I think being bored is actually a really important skill. And uh, as someone that was ADHD, uh, dyslexic, didn't do well in K through 12, I never went down that traditional path of maybe medication and some other ways to handle that focus issue. But I never remember in school being like, hey, um, Matt, let's practice resting. Let's practice doing nothing. It was, you can't do this or sit still to do this activity. Well, maybe the solution or something we need to do a little bit more of is to do nothing, practice that. And I, I love movies and I always think back to Forrest Gump. He sits on that bench. Most people can't sit on a bench without any phone or any stimulation and be comfortable. And that's a problem. So yeah, I think being bored is a skill. It's vanished. I mean, we use that in such a negative tone. You shouldn't be bored. Don't be bored. I'm bored. My son, he's five years old, he uses that uh, word because he's got Disney Plus and he's got the uh, iPad and he's got the phone and we have everything at our disposal at any second. Amazon can deliver it tomorrow. Mental health's gone up crazy. We're so anxious because we're so stimulated. We're so plugged in. So being bored is, to the listeners, it's a skill. It's not something we wake up and are like, I wanna be bored today, but we gotta be a little bit more susceptible to being bored. So you stop at a stoplight, allow yourself to be bored, sit in traffic. These are developed skills. And I don't like to be bored, but I'm practice. I try to create that patience.
Because if we don't, then we rely on being so plugged in. And think about sleep. We're on our phones, or we're checking emails, we're thinking about our day. Versus 15 years ago, nobody was checking their emails before bed. And so if we don't give ourselves kind of that break, then uh, we close our eyes and our mind starts to race about all the things that we should be doing or where we should be. Boredom is, uh, I think, important. I haven't figured out how to teach people or want people to be bored, but it's, there's something there to, to talk about. And I think you could really see it as a, a necessary break for your brain just to just unhook itself. Like, Because if we're not getting enough sleep for that recharge time and then we're not bored, then when does our brain have that time to... It doesn't. You know, get yeah. itself together. It doesn't. It's running too hot. You know, it's like the seasons. We need to go through the seasons. If we're always hot and going, we're going to burn out. And we're seeing it. Overwhelmed, burnout, COVID. We're seeing people not work and do these things because they were just, they're running too hot. But if we can practice it, that's where meditation plays a role. Even before that is breathing. Because if you're not breathing correctly and, uh, you know, looking at a computer, most of us don't breathe correctly looking at a computer because we're overstimulated. Then next thing you know, you're, you're not setting the body up the right way. So as we're talking about setting up yourself for success, essentially, what are your top five metrics to know if you're healthy mentally and physically? That's a good question. And, you know, we didn't talk about some of these uh, that much today. We talked about a lot of nutrition and a little bit of movement. But I would sit back to breathing. Um, Devante, we were just talking about this. Your breathing is probably your number one metric to determine how your health is, whether it's your nervous system, whether it's your heart, your breathing will tell you a lot. And so the average American breathes between 15 and 20 breaths. We should be breathing between eight and 12 breaths per minute. And so we can all measure that and we should all know that, you know, just like we should know some of these others. Resting heart rate, we should know our resting heart rate. It tells us our, our fitness level, nervous system. And again, you can take these. So breaths per minute, resting heart rate, blood pressure. Blood pressure, obviously you're gonna need a blood pressure cuff, but if you get a physical, you'll know that blood pressure. And it's not always about 120 over 80. It's, it's about what do those numbers mean? So the 120 is the systolic and the, the lower number is the diastolic. You really want that lower number to be lower. It tells you the pressure when the heart is at rest. Back to resting, you know, it's telling you, can you actually relax? I do think we need to be aware of our weight or our pants size or our belt size just to know what's our metric. What are we starting with? It's not about what's the number. It's about, are we kind of maintaining that healthy weight and can we get into an optimized weight? Because that's, I think, one symptom that we see. It's not the cause always, but it's one symptom. And then the fifth one we've talked about a lot is, what's your energy? So those are the five. Breathing, how many breaths per minute, resting heart rate, blood pressure, some type of gauge on your weight or pant size, and then energy. And if you kind of know those on a monthly basis, you can Ask yourself, what do I need to kind of refocus on? Again, I, I've worked with thousands of people. Nutrition is a big part, but I would say the biggest opportunity we have as a society is that category called rest. Sleep, you know, quiet, stillness, being bored can play a huge role in improving people's health. Thank you for that. So our listeners have gotten the opportunity to listen to your tips and just how you've eloquently really talked about things to really pay attention to when it comes to our health and not just physically, but also mentally. How can they hear more about you? So what other like resources yeah, and tools do you the, have? The best resource is our website, which is ontargetliving.com. From there, we have an app and we have podcasts and we have videos. And But start at our website. It's kind of the beginning of the hub. 
takes you uh, where you need to go. The other thing is we're humans, we're accessible. So if you send an email or even a phone call, don't be surprised if I answer it because health is emotional and it's personal. And if I just robotically tell you this information, back to information, doesn't really lead people down the journey that, that's possible. And, and health is, is an art, it's a science, it requires behavior change, so it's complicated. So our website, but if you want to reach out to us, we're, we're actually humans behind the operation and, and we like to talk to people, as you can tell. Thank you. And their website will be in our episode bio. Just to kind of wrap us up, can you give us your top tips for maintaining that self-care, mental health, physical during this holiday season? Number one, we all have, I would call it material stuff in our life that we protect we polish, we invest in, whether it's a car or jewelry or a coat or purse, you want to take that values to your health. And your greatest asset out of anything is your health. So you got to value it, number one. Number two, for the holiday seasons right now, stick to the habits that you have. Maybe you want to refocus on drinking enough water and moving your body and getting to bed early, but make it really simple over these next couple months and maybe then set some goals for the new year. And the new year, I think, can be sometimes a, a joke and say, well, we're gonna set New Year's resolutions, or it can be a powerful motivator or nudge to say it's go time. Over the last 20 months, I've been trying to really motivate people that it's go time right now. The reason why COVID and mental health and stress is boiling over is because we've neglected it for so long and we, we can't continue to neglect it, rely on sick care and, and technology. We have to invest in ourselves. So value it first, create small steps, and then our three buckets that we really teach, rest, eat, and move, those are three things we have control over every single day. And if you neglect those areas, you'll probably see some symptoms down the road. And focus on what you should eat versus focusing on what you shouldn't eat. We're gonna have cookies or whatever treats we like, but maybe make sure you're adding the things that you know you should consume over these next few months. Thank you so much, Matt, for coming onto the Walt Watch podcast today. We really appreciate it. I hope that our listeners will take the information, take the education that you gave them and start putting some of these into their, their lives every day. Well, thanks for having me. And now it's time for the CU Spotlight. MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union, we are always looking for ways to educate individuals on the importance of smart money management. WalletWatch is one of the great ways that we're able to do that. But if you'd like to learn more, we have additional resources that you are able to utilize for free. Financial 4.0 is a free app and website that offers users access to their own personalized budget tracker, financial quizzes, published articles, weekly tips, and more. It's a fun and interactive way to learn about money and take control of your finances. If you're interested in learning more, visit financial40.org or find us in your app store by searching Financial 4.0 for MSU or Financial 4.0 for OU. Wallet Watch is written, hosted, and produced by Amanda Kahn, Devante Montgomery, and me, Lindsay Morgan. 
Our executive producers are Whitney Anderson Harrell and Lauren Kalarzik. Wallet Watch is brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our credit union's website, financial40.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.